Welcome back to the Sports Medicine Orthopod. It's Anthony Yu. Drew's off this week, so I'm joined with our special guest, Adam Schiff. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Schiff, how are you doing? Great, Anthony. Thanks for having me. You know, it's uh, it's always fun to be back, and I, I think maybe next week we'll let Drew come back on, although I'm pretty happy to keep him on the sidelines where he belongs. <laughs> well, you'll warm that seat, and you may never get out of it. How are your holidays? Kids have a good uh, time? Yeah, highs are great. It'd be nice if we weren't all stuck inside, but uh, we're not traveling. We're doing the right thing, and I uh, hope everybody else is also. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so a lot's happened since our last show, and so we weren't anticipating doing a show before the new year. Uh, kicked in mostly just we wanted to get rid of uh, 2020 but a lot of injuries uh, so we wanted to cover some of them and uh, we've got quite a few so we're going to kind of go through them in, in a bit of a different format than we've done before where we focus on one particular injury we're going to go a bit scattershot talk about some different players and bounce around from the uh, NBA to the NFL and we're going to go in alphabetical order because us nerds like organization and so we're going to start with NFL, uh, Quan Alexander from the New Orleans Saints, linebacker. He was traded to the Saints earlier this year from the 49ers, and he tore his Achilles last Friday. You know, Adam, for, a, for an NFL player with an Achilles tear, we're worried. So placing these guys into one of three categories, not concerned about his injury and his recovery, moderately concerned about his injury and recovery, or very concerned. What do you think about Quad Alexander? Yeah, I mean, 2020 couldn't leave all these athletes alone, unfortunately. And, and here we should be done and moving on to the next year. But uh, 2020 left its mark on Quan Alexander. This is a terrible injury. I mean, this is a guy who's been dealing with injuries for so long, you know, three major injuries in three years. Um, this is probably the worst of the three. You know, as we talked about on the Achilles show, these injuries are just devastating for professional athletes, particularly football players. And, you know, there's about a third of them who will not return to competitive play. Here's a guy who tried to get back after an ACL tear, tried to get back after a pec tear, and he was doing great this year. And it's just, you know, after a full year recovery, you can't imagine this guy comes back to the level or is able to sustain a high level after this. So, I mean, this is definitely career-threatening for him. Uh, what, what bad luck after everything else he's been through before. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned it, 2018 ACL tear, 2019 pectoralis major tendon tear, and then Achilles tear this year. And so I wanted to bring up Quan because, um, you know, we hear about these guys who have multiple injuries, and they get labeled as injury-prone, the injury-prone athlete. What do you make of that? Do you think there's truth to that? Well, it certainly seems to be true. We, we talk about it a lot. It seems like we're talking about the same people over and over. But, you know, the, the, the reality is, particularly in the NFL, but but even in the NBA, I mean, these are high-impact sports. These are collision sports. They're violent. And there's not a week that goes by that there's not somebody who's hurt. And so I think really more than anything, it, it's bad luck. You know, these guys are playing at a high level. And if they were really injury prone, they would have been hurt in high school and college. They would have never had the chance to make it here. So, you know, I, I think it feels like we talk about it, but but it's really bad luck. The only true injury prone person I know is Drew Burleson. And, and <laughs> obviously, he's not here tonight dealing with another, another injury at home. So, uh, but I mean, it, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's really true, but these are all soft tissue injuries. I, I mean... You know, as a sports guy, what do you think? Do you see these things happen over and over again? Yeah, I think it's hard to find a trend 
um, or make generalizations about an injury prone athlete. Certainly there's athletes who have recurrent injuries. So Steph Curry's ankles, for example, that was a recurrent injury uh, until they had them surgically stabilized uh, a, a few times. And then the problems seemed to ease up, but that's still always a concern in the back of everybody's mind when it comes to Steph. Anytime he just goes down, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is another ankle injury. Um, but when we look at somebody like Quan, these are, these are three separate body parts, ACL, knee, pec, and the chest, Achilles uh, down at the ankle. I would chalk this up to bad luck. Uh, and the fact that, as you said, violent sport he's playing, he's putting himself at risk with every snap he plays. Um, and, and it's just, it's just bad luck. There are some other things, for example, in somebody who recurrently tears their ACL, which is a bummer, but it happens. Some people are a little bit more loosey goosey. And even after you stabilize their knee with an ACL reconstruction, it may not be perfect and it may continue to be a little bit loose. And in those folks, we could see again, kind of that recurrent injury where they tear their ACL uh, multiple times. But this multiple body part type of injury thing, I, I wouldn't say that Quan's necessarily an injury prone athlete. He just plays a violent sport and has had bad luck. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, there, there are definitely risk factors for people to have recurrent injuries. And, you know, I think ACLs, you, you can talk about their alignment, right? If, they're, if their leg's not lined up right, it's kind of deformed. It can put some abnormal stresses and make them more prone. But these guys at this high level are being seen by top doctors and multiple opinions before these surgeries. Those kinds of things don't get missed. And, you know, even if they have it, it's, they're trying to address it, whether it's surgically or non-operatively, you're trying to take those things into account partially for the athletes good and partially because there's an insurance policy on all of these players. Uh, and, and so those factors are one, but these kinds of unrelated things are, you know, certainly bad luck. We talked about it with Clay Thompson though, uh, ACL tear and then an Achilles following it. I mean, no doubt they're probably not probably compensating in some way. They're not a hundred percent when they come back and maybe it makes them more prone to an injury. That's maybe an injury leading to an injury, not that the player itself is injury prone. Okay, so let's move on to the letter C, and that's Marquise Chris. So uh, Warriors backup center, injured during practice, and the reported injury was a syndesmosis injury with a fibula fracture. He had to have surgery and is out for the season. So Adam, this is your wheelhouse, foot and ankle guru. What does that mean in your mind when you hear that? Yeah, this is a bad injury. I mean, you know, we did the whole first episode ever on the show. We kicked it off with syndesmosis and high ankle sprains. And, you know, we discussed how important it is. But um, when you have the fibula fracture also, this is not just a ligament injury. I mean, this is a major ordeal um, fracture, at least one, if not two separate ligament injuries. This is an unstable ankle. This is very much in the world of the Dak Prescott not being an open fracture, but it's much more serious than just, oh, we have some ligament injuries and we need, you know, a surgery to kind of line things up or hold it back together. Uh, fractures like this are more than just ligament tears that syndesmosis. They're often syndesmosis dislocations, much more traumatic, it has to be put back right, uh, much longer recovery. And so, you know, depending on where the fracture is, it can be fixed. It can be tr- treated indirectly by just watching the bones heal, but certainly lining everything up. And, you know, to get that bone to heal, you're looking at a good six to eight weeks starting to walk on it, you know, 
in a shoe at three months, running and jumping at four or five months, it, it's a season-ending injury, no question about it. Although once it heals and once he's back, he's probably back to doing everything. So it's probably not a career-threatening injury. The fibula fracture part of it will heal very well, but it's certainly a season-ending injury. Yeah, so to remind the audience, the syndesmosis is basically this ligament that connects the tibia to the fibula. I'd used this analogy before where uh, tibia and fibula is kind of like a, a tree with a stake next to it. And the ties that bind that stake to the tree, that's kind of like the syndesmosis running up in between those two bones. So when we talked about the high ankle sprain, that is a syndesmosis injury. But this one particular that involves the fibula fracture, the syndesmosis may be disrupted completely from top to bottom as the energy through that uh, syndesmosis disruption occurs, uh, as it exits, it'll oftentimes exit through the fibula causing this fracture. And this is a particular type of ankle injury called a mason nuve. Did I get that pronunciation right? Uh, I don't speak French, but it sounds perfect to me. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, it's kind of a dreaded uh, ankle fracture pattern. Um, and interesting because the fibula fracture actually is much higher. It's above the ankle joints, actually up close to the knee. But what happens is that syndesmosis is split apart, travels up from the ankle all the way up towards the knee, and then exits out to the side, causing this the fibula, the the stake to to actually break. Yeah, I think you know the the great way to think about it is you've got two bones, uh, and they're they're very important. Obviously, the tibia is a stronger bone, but they have a lot of interaction. They, they rotate around each other and. You know, you can have injuries where just one breaks in isolation. You, you can have injuries where they both break. This injury with the fibula breaking and the ligaments tearing is almost the equivalent of two bones breaking with the exception that ligaments just don't heal as quickly and as reliably as the bone. So it's it's like an injury where both bones break. It's a, it's a severe injury. You got to give the ligaments a chance to heal. You got to give the bone a chance to heal. Uh, it, it's a big injury for an, for an athlete. Yeah, and – we talked in the high ankle sprain show about Tua, who had had both of his high ankle sprains surgically stabilized, and he came back to play. He did that so that he could come back to play pretty quickly. Well, we know Marcus Chris is going to be gone for the entire season. NBA season is like 17 months long, so that's a long time he's going to be out. It's much different than the Tua situation. Explain to us, what is the difference there? Why is Tua able to come back quickly and Marcus Chris is on the shelf until next season? Yeah, it's it's a great point. I mean, the syndesmosis, those ligaments, th there's there's a set of four of them, and you know we don't know how many or how severely Tua's were injured. But the idea when it's a high ankle sprain is that there might be some instability between the bones, but the bones are generally lined up well. They're just not going to stay lined up, and so you do a surgery where you put screws or this rope device called a tight rope across and it holds them together and actually substitutes axis ligaments. So it keeps the bones where they're supposed to be. When you add the fracture in, it's not just that there's a ligament that tears. Those ligaments tear and the bone actually dislocates or it, it's not lined up. And, you know, there's a lot of these that get fixed where that bone, that joint isn't lined up perfectly well. And patients' outcomes are really dependent on how well you get those lined up. So instead of just tearing ligaments and you need to hold them together, you actually have to put this bone back where it goes and reattach ligaments or do things so the ligaments heal in the right place. So it's a much higher energy injury. It, it, it's you know the equivalent of one is, oh, I stepped off a curb and rolled my ankle, and the other is, oh, I got in a car accident, tore everything up. I mean, these are, these are severe. So if we want to think about Marquise Chris's injury, are you – 
not concerned, moderately concerned, concerned long-term? Well, I think long-term, not all that concerned. Um, people like this come, you know, come back from these injuries all the time. Uh, I think the most famous example of this, uh, Terrell Owens did it right before the Super Bowl. He, he actually played in the Super Bowl where most of us didn't think he were, was going to be able to, but certainly needed the entire offseason to recover, but certainly came back the next year playing great, uh, as he always did. And so I think in the long term, it's not that concerning. They've already established basically his year's over. And so I think that's where the concern is. When, you, when you're not rushing to get back, uh, it, it's not all that concerning. So I think his year is over, but long term, his career is, will not be a career ending injury for him. It's exactly right. And the concern is, uh, as, as a Warriors fan, I can give everybody some insight. Marcus Chris has really found a home with the Golden State Warriors. He has floated around. He was a high draft pick, I think number eight, bounced around to multiple teams, never really found uh, a niche. And he did last season with the Warriors who were just got awful, but uh, he was one of the shining stars of that just terrible team. And I think he had finally gotten some traction in in, an NBA career that had a lot of promise, but um, he hadn't really met those expectations yet. So I think that's just the sad thing about this injury, but uh, we expect a full recovery and uh, hopefully he can get back on track. Yeah, I think he's going to fit in uh, to the Warriors training room very well this year. <laughs> All right, so we're on to the letter D, and that's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie. The, I think the diagnosis was not clear at first, but now it's, it's come out that he had a partial ACL tear that went on to surgery. And as we know from our mini shows on ACL tears, that means an ACL reconstruction. He is out for the season. When we hear the term partial ACL tear, uh, a lot of confusion is, is brought up. Do partial tears always need surgery? What is a partial tear? And actually, it's pretty simple when it comes to the ACL. It's based on, is the knee stable or not? Uh, partial tear, that, those kinds of things, they, they don't really matter. What matters is, does the ACL work or not? It, it's pretty binary. It's a, it's a yes or no type of thing. And you can tell that based on the stability of the knee. If it's unstable, the ACL doesn't work, it, it's torn. Whether there are some fibers still intact, does not matter. The ACL doesn't work anymore. It needs surgery. If the knee is stable, nothing needs to be done. And unfortunately for Spencer Didwitty, partial tear means full ACL tear means surgery. He's out for the season. I would put this in the moderately concerned category. I think NBA players with AC, especially a young player like Dinwiddie coming back from the ACL reconstruction in this era are doing pretty well. But historically, we know that any professional athlete coming back from an ACL reconstruction there is some question, will it alter their career going forward? Uh, that will remain to be seen, but um, most likely he comes back no problem. But there is, you know, in the back of our minds, a, a bit of moderate concern about that. So Anthony is a sports guy. I mean, partial ACL tear. I, I imagine that diagnosis is made by MRI. Right? You get an MRI and it says maybe some are in text or not. So h- how do you judge the stability of, of that? Is there imaging that can be done? Not by imaging so much, but by clinical exam. And there is actually an old tool, which some people still use, myself included, called an arthrometer, which uh, it will actually compare the amount of translation of the tibia on the femur from one knee to the next. And in that way, will give you a pretty accurate um, idea of how loose one knee is compared to the other. Also, the subjective feeling of the patient. If the patient's telling you, hey, you know, if I turn left, my knee feels like it's going to buckle. That's not a good sign. You may feel fine, as we've talked about before, with straightforward walking, even jogging, cycling. 
But as soon as you start twisting or pivoting, if that knee feels like it's going to buckle, that is a pretty good sign the ACL is not working. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great example. You know, so much of what we do in orthopedics and sports medicine and foot ankle is look at x-rays, look at MRIs and make decisions. But there are some things that really do require an exam or listening to patients' complaints. And I think this is like a really good example of that where it's not so cut and dry, black and white, that there's, there's a lot of gray to these kinds of injuries. Yeah, you know, that's one of the first things they teach you in medical school is to talk to the patients, examine the patients. It, it, in this day and age with the technology, we kind of lose that sometimes and turn into automatons, just reading MRI reports and things of that sort. But uh, in this case, uh, physical exam is very important. All right, so uh, moving on to the letter G, we got Jared Goff. This one is a confusing one and well-publicized as well. So uh, last week, uh, his hand hit a helmet. He dislocated his right thumb, put it back into place, and finished the game. And actually threw some decent accuracy, which is a testament to how tough the guy actually is. Uh, turns out afterwards, it wasn't just a fracture, but there was, uh, I'm sorry, dislocation, but there was a fracture component to it as well. And he ended up having surgery. There was talk at first that maybe he could just wait until the offseason to have surgery. Uh, because this coming Sunday, uh, I think they play Sunday or Saturday, this coming weekend, very important game for the Rams in terms of their playoff hopes. Uh, but then turns out he did have the surgery. He's going to miss this week's game. But potentially, he's going to play if they do make the playoffs in, in their first round game. This is kind of a wild story to us. I mean, to the layperson, they might think, so what? But uh, it, it's a little unusual to us. Adam, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of speculation on this kind of injury uh, without seeing his x-rays and being able to talk to the person who did his surgery. I don't think anybody really knows. But when you watch that injury happen, I mean, that was a complete thumb dislocation. And there's no question about it. It's not a, oh, maybe it kind of popped out of place. and we. Pop- I mean, that thing dislocated. Uh, and so you can imagine that, um, you know, he needed a surgery and they fixed that with screws, which means the piece of bone has to be substantial. You know, these, these kinds of fractures that we see in the thumb, the sort of the common one that we refer to is called the Bennett's fracture. These are often very small fractures and we often can't put screws in them. We fix them with wires, uh, fix them with suture, uh, and, and it takes time to heal. I think, you know, a good example of that is a couple of years ago, Jay Cutler did that. It's a famous story where his surgeon brought an football into the operating room. They sterilized it so they could put his thumb in the right position <laughs> to be able to throw a football. Um, but, you know, these are these are not easy. easy How'd that injuries. work out for him? Uh, it worked out as well as the other season. He, he was great at throwing interceptions. <laughs> bitter Bears fan. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of people who are bitter at, uh, at Jay Cutler right now. You ask his ex-wife. <laughs> but, you know, I, these kinds of injuries are, are tough. And, and if he's got the kind that needs screws, uh, it's obviously a bigger fracture, bigger piece. It's probably better for bone healing. I can't imagine he's back in two weeks. You know, the NFL is more honest about their injury assessments than any other league. I mean, they, there's a lot of fines and stuff that go into it. Um, but I, I have a feeling they get through this week and they make the playoffs. He's not playing the first or second round of the playoffs. Yeah, sounds crazy. And we would think at the earliest with the type of fracture dislocation, which would be the most common that we're kind of talking about, this Bennett fracture, four weeks maybe at the earliest, but but in most people more like six. So two weeks is, is a little wild. Uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if the Rams advance, he's not playing in that first game. I don't think he's playing until, unless they make a deep run into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree completely. You know, if, if this happened in the, you know, 
NFC Championship game and he's playing in the Super Bowl in two weeks, you know, maybe you, you let it fly, you try, and then you fix it again later if it falls apart. But he, he's a young stud quarterback. He's got a bright career. I, I don't think they're going to chance his future on a, you know, wild card round playoff game. So I, I think he's going to be out for quite some time. Yeah, and it's a good thing you brought that up. Like, some people might think that, well, you know, he goes out and plays and maybe he re-breaks it or the screws break or the repair falls apart. You just go back in and fix it. It's not that simple. Um, You've got screw paths already drilled into the bone. There's an issue of real estate. You you only have so much bone to work with in order to pass uh, screws across. And if you've burned that real estate and now those screw paths are destroyed because the repair has been broken apart, not ideal. Yeah, these are small bones, and you don't get so many chances to redo it. I think all of us, when we have to redo a surgery or do a revision of a surgery, it's always hard a second time. And patients' outcomes are always worse after a second operation. And uh, you don't want to put your star quarterback through reoperations if it's avoidable. That's right. That's right. So we'll see, but I'm skeptical. Um, In terms of concern for me, I'm moderately concerned because uh, obviously the playoff hopes are high for the Rams. I don't think in the immediate future he's playing. Long term, though, we'd assume this heals up fine. He's going to be back to himself. But my guess is probably not this season. Even if he does come back, the grip strength, the ability to hold and throw that football, you would think is going to be challenged. So that's my concern for him. Yeah, I, I think the, the concern goes up a lot if he tries to come back too early, right? I think it's an injury that should heal pretty well. He, he's a tough guy. He should gain his strength back. He he's, he misses four or six weeks. He's out this season. He comes back next year. I think he comes back great. He rushes it. Something goes wrong. That's when it becomes a career-threatening injury. Absolutely. Okay, moving on. Ja Morant. So he has a left ankle sprain, grade two. He is out three to five weeks. So Dr. Schiff, foot and ankle specialist, I can't stop saying that. Tell us about the grades of ankle sprains and are you concerned, not concerned, moderately concerned? I think you keep saying foot ankle specialist as a way to say that nothing else we're talking about I know anything about. (laughs) Uh, I think instead of foot ankle specialist, it's it's all about the orthopedic moron. Um, The hand is exactly like the foot, right? Well, that, it's, it's a little less smart than the foot. It might smell better, but it's less important. Uh, you don't see people walking on their hands too often. So, yeah, I mean, uh, grade two ankle sprain, three to five weeks. I think that's about accurate. Um, boy, good news. Watching him limp off, you certainly got the feeling this could be a lot of a, a lot worse of an injury. And so I think to hear grade two is probably a relief to him, his team, and to all of us fans. Um, so lots of different ways people talk about you know, ankle sprains, um, the two common ways are there's three big ligaments on the outside of your ankle. You tear one, it's a grade one injury. You tear two of them, it's a grade two. You tear all three, it's a grade three. You can also talk about the ligament itself. A grade one is a stretch, it's an injury, some tearing, but not that much. Grade two is kind of a partial tear. Grade three is completely torn. And so depending on how you want to classify it, it's not a mild one, but it's not really severe. So it's something kind of in the middle. And for these, you know, our athletes go into a boot temporarily, they go into a brace, they kind of limit their activity, they get the swelling out, they work on range of motion. And as long as they're not having recurrent sprains, as long as their ankle is not unstable, they come back pretty darn well. The, the mistake we see clearly is trying to rush back, right? Getting back too soon, ligament doesn't heal, it puts you at risk for these recurrent sprains going forward. But 
treated the right way, good recovery, these injuries are very common, you should expect no problems. Every once in a while, you get someone with recurrent instability, like Steph Curry, who needs something surgically done. But a grade two, first or second time grade two injury, probably not going to be the case. Uh, I think this is the best news. Uh, not concerning at all, unless you care about the first couple of games of the season. Yeah, and a pretty common injury for a basketball player. Yeah, you know, I think with, with basketball, you know, so much jumping, so much impact, landing on each other's feet. People roll ankles all the time. They have these grade one ankles all the time. I, I don't know one collegiate level or NBA level athlete who's never rolled their ankle once. Right? I mean, these things happen all the time. Um, and, and they're able to come back pretty quickly. It's when it's a little bit more severe, these grade two sprains where it's a little bit longer. I think, you know, Morant was diagnosed quickly, came out very honestly with, with an assessment. And uh, I, I think, you know, four weeks is pretty darn accurate. And I think he's going to come back playing great. Yeah, agree. Uh, we're going to go to Kyler Murray, who's actually announced that he's going to play, but uh, our, our ratings really go up when we include more NFL players. So Kyler Murray sustained a right lower leg injury late in the game against the 49ers, uh, took a big sack. There was, they've been pretty vague about it, right? Lower leg injuries, basically all, all we've heard. Um, Cliff Kingsbury really didn't give any indication as to what the diagnosis was or, or what their confidence was that he was going to play. But then Kyler Murray did come out and says he, he's planning to play. Um, did you see that injury? Yeah, uh, definitely saw the injury live. I've watched the replay numerous times. Uh, God, you'd think this is a hockey with a lower leg injury. No one has any idea what this is. Uh, <laughs> it looked like his abdomen or, you know, ribs or, you know, it looked like he was short of breath when he was getting up. So uh, who knows what lower leg injury is. I think there's a lot of speculation here. Uh, perhaps the most important game of the year for a lot of teams in the NFC, the Cardinals against the Rams and Rams starting quarterback's not going to play. And we know very honestly what he had at surgeries out. Uh, and then we have absolutely no idea what's happening in Arizona. Uh, but but uh, you would you'd hope that game is not played by two backup quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, and huge implications, right? Because only way Cardinals get into the playoffs is they win, and the Bears but lose. I think uh, the Cardinals that they need a Bears loss also to get in. Uh, actually, if the Cardinals win and the Bears win, then the Rams are out. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So um, uh, Cardinals yeah, Arizona win in. Arizona wins are in for sure. Um, and, you know, I'm a Bears fan here. They're playing the Packers. So I, I wouldn't be betting on the Bears if I were if I were a betting man. Translation, Cardinals and Rams are going to the playoffs, folks. <laughs> uh, unless the Rams win, Jared Goff comes off the bench with a <laughs> screw in his hand and does something miraculous. <laughs> uh, okay, so not concerned. The guy says he's going to play. Um, He's a great player. 49ers hate seeing him. Great player. Yeah, uh, you know, there's quarterbacks in the NFL who are pocket passers and they have a leg injury. They might be able to get away with it. You've got Kyler Murray's the opposite, right? He's active. He runs around out there. The guy scrambles. He's all over the place. If he says he can play the way he wants to play. You're not concerned at all about his injury. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to Carl Anthony Towns, a very confusing wrist situation so here's a history on cat february of 2020 in the shortened season that ended in the bubble he sustained a left wrist injury and at first it was um uh, not really clear what the injury was then it came out that he had a 
subtle fracture that initially wasn't detected. And they thought he was going to miss a couple weeks and, and be back fine. He ends up having surgery, which ends his season. And when you hear that story, what, what are you thinking about in terms of the, the wrist? Yeah, I mean, I think that story is classic for a scaphoid fracture. Uh, these get missed all the time, and not because they're missed, but they, they're very subtle fractures. They don't show up on imaging right away. Very hard to tell if it's a fracture or a bruise or anything of that. Um, but as the story unfolds and you get further testing and more time goes on, it turns out it's a fracture. I think we see that scaphoid injury or story all the time. Uh, and that's clearly what it ended up being was a scaphoid fracture. And what's the concern with a scaphoid fracture? Why, why do you end up getting surgery for it? These are notorious for um, slow healing and not healing. And then if they don't go on to heal, they get something called avascular necrosis, which you know, every bone is alive. It's a living, breathing organ, and uh, it's got blood supply coming. And certain these fractures can separate the blood supply from the bone from other parts of the bone. And when that part of the bone doesn't get blood supply, it dies, and it's not able to be surgically repaired very easily. And the scaphoid is one of these really finicky, fickle bones that, for whatever reason, can can do that. Uh, and, and then that becomes a disaster. It's a very hard problem. It's very hard to get these to fix, and it really requires you know, career threatening surgeries. Yeah. And we, you know, in our residency training, when we were doing hand surgery, we would see people like this in, in the clinic or the emergency room. They maybe had an injury 20 years ago. Uh, I actually remember a guy, he hurt himself dunking a basketball 20 years ago. He was like 40. Now we got x-rays of his wrist. He had awful arthritis because what he did when he hit the rim with his wrist was he broke his scaphoid. He didn't have insurance at the time. He just shook it off because he was a tough guy. 20 years later, he has awful arthritis in the wrist because that scaphoid was broken. It went on to what we call non-union. It never healed. Bone broke down, it, and then it basically altered the mechanics of the entire wrist and led to just terrible arthritis. Um, so so that's, that's one of those concerns with a, a scaphoid fracture that's missed and left untreated. And so he's back for this season. First couple games, doing well. Uh, you know, he's with his buddy, D'Angelo Russell, they start out two and oh, but then he takes a fall and sustains what's described as a left wrist dislocation, which is as awful as it sounds. I think Woj or, or somebody came out with some more details later that it's what we call a left wrist perilunate subluxation. So the lunate is one of these wrist bones and surprise, surprise, it happens to you next to the scaphoid. And the lunate is more central in the wrist. The scaphoid is a bit off to the side, but both of those bones are super important for wrist stability and wrist function. And subluxation, we've talked about it uh, briefly before, is not quite a dislocation. It's sort of like on the way to being a dislocation. So uh, the, the wrist is not completely all the way uh, dislocated and out of joint, but it's going that way. It's not normal. And so that would assume that he needed some sort of maneuver to put the wrist back into place, uh, or, or maybe he was able to do it um, uh, during the game, uh, because I think he did, he did play the, the entire game. Uh, it, was, it was noted after the game that he had this injury. This is a bad injury, Adam. Like we, you, these are the ones that we don't see very often. You, you read about them, but, but they're kind of scary injuries, right? Yeah, I mean, these are gruesome injuries, and... Uh, you know, there's a lot of little bones in the wrist. Uh, you know, we think about the big bones, the forearm, and then you think about your hand, but 
you know, in between, there's lots of little bones, the carpal bones that, that have a lot to do with wrist mechanics. And to have what's called a perilunate subluxation or dislocation, you're tearing lots of ligaments there, or you're breaking some bones in addition to tearing the ligaments. It, it's a big, bad injury. And I'd say it's really unusual. These are high energy. We see these after car accidents or big falls off ladders uh, in normal people. Or you see them when there's something wrong with the wrist. And you'd have to wonder if his scaphoid didn't heal or if he had a ligament injury at the time of his scaphoid fracture that made him more prone. His injury didn't look that bad. It didn't I mean, it didn't look like something that he didn't look like he fell off a backboard or anything. And so it, it's pretty shocking. Um, and so either we're not getting the right story and he didn't really have a perilunate subluxation. Maybe he just has some you know, mild tears around the lunate and it's just getting reported a little bit wrong or you trust the reporting and you say god this is a really bad injury you know if it's just a sprain or tear some ligaments it doesn't really sublux there's a role for non-operative treatment if it if it subluxes or dislocates it, it needs a surgery and i think right now there's a lot of things that are in question no one's really sure what it is but this guy has surgery in the next week or two it's a it's not a surprise at all it's going to be a we told you so yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And that's what makes this story so strange because he's listed as week to week. He's out indefinitely, but they're basically saying they're going to reevaluate him week to week. But our understanding of a perilunate dislocation is that thing needs surgery like 100% of the time. So what is the delay? You're absolutely right. We may not have the story. Uh, we're going based on just the reporting. But if you tell an orthopedic surgeon, hey, I had a perilunate dislocation, we're thinking surgery every time for that. And so and it's I, usually surgery in the middle of the night. I mean, usually yeah. it's so bad, it's an, it's an emergent problem. Yeah, because uh, you, can't get the, you can't get the risk reduced a lot of times. Exactly. Uh, for, a for a subluxation, it might be easier to reduce. And, and um, uh, obviously, he hasn't had surgery yet. But I completely agree. If he's having surgery within this next couple of weeks, month or so, I, I won't be surprised. Uh, this one I put in the concerning category. It's this offhand, non-shooting hand, but you need your left hand in, in the NBA. Uh, to be an NBA-level player, you got to dribble left. you got to be able to score left. Uh, you got to be able to rebound left. Um, that's, a, that's a problem. I'm, I'm concerned about this one. It's kind of being brushed to the side a little bit, like week to week. You know, He's out indefinitely with this wrist thing, um, but uh, I'm concerned for him. Yeah, I think in, in a general setting, no prior injuries, it's a concerning injury. This is the same hand with the scaphoid. There's already a problem there. It makes it very concerning. And just like a scaphoid, you know, there, everyone thought that he might have a scaphoid fracture. It didn't really reveal itself until later, ended up getting surgery a little bit later. I, I think this is going to be one of those injuries that we know it's bad, but we're not really sure why he did it. And I think there's going to be a lot of studies that go on to look at is the scaphoid okay? The ligaments around his scaphoid, and I have a feeling he's going to end up with surgery at some point. And if there's any association with his prior scaphoid, not that anyone's at fault, right? It's just bad injury before makes him more susceptible to this injury. Uh, it, this is a bad, bad prognosis for this guy, and you couldn't feel sorry for him right now. I mean, he's gone through so much with you know his family and COVID, and you hope the basketball would help take his mind off things. Then this gruesome career threatening injury. You got to feel for the guy. You know, who's the big winner in all this gold state warriors. They got their pick for next year. <laughs> <laughs> although, although without cat, 
they may end up with a top three lottery pick, which is protected. So I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe they're hoping they can, uh, the balls will bounce their way and the Wolves end up with the fourth pick and then the Warriors are going to high five. <laughs> the, the, in, the injury room in the gold state. Right? <laughs> uh, okay. We're going to finish off with one last hand uh, injury and that's Cody Zeller. So he fractured his left ring finger metacarpal uh, bone, and he actually had surgery for it on Christmas Eve. He's expected to be out four to six weeks, uh, which, which is pretty reasonable timetable um, uh, for this type of injury that, that requires surgery. I want to talk about this one because the ring finger is, uh, in terms of the metacarpal at least, is not one that gets surgery a lot. The ring finger, and, and we call it small finger, aka pinky, metacarpals, they, they get broken a lot. Um, especially with direct impact. In fact, the, the classic moniker for this is the boxer's fracture, uh, which applies to the, the small finger metacarpal, but you know, you, you really could apply it to the, to the ring finger as well. And, uh, we see this a lot in, in training. Somebody gets mad. They punch a wall. The wall always wins. They end up with this boxer's fracture, or maybe it's at the, the ring finger metacarpal, like, like Cody Zeller. And, and those were typically easy patients to see because, there's usually not much to do, right? Yeah, I mean, a fourth metacarpal fracture is usually not a big deal. And, you know, there's a lot of mobility in the outside of the hand. It's very forgiving. And it's one of those things that you, you get a call from the emergency department, you see him in the office, and you're sort of like, yeah, this is normal fracture. You, the only times that really it's operative are it's so angulated that the fingers aren't lining up at all, or probably more likely in his case, it's so it's so rotated, right? So as the hand comes down, the finger's going underneath or over another finger, and it's not moving the way a normal hand would move. It's unusual to see that. You've got to expect that to have a surgery on it is one of those things. Money being on that it's rotated and it's just not lining up well. Uh, but these are bones that have good blood supply. There's a lot of good bone in this area, good real estate, and you got to think he's going to come back you know, as good as ever, uh, once it heals, it's just going to take some time to get there. Yeah. So I, I would put this in the not concerning category. He, we expect a full recovery from him. The timetable is accurate. I mean, a guy that size, you know, his metacarpal has got to be the size of our femurs. You yeah. know? <laughs> his metacarpal eats our femur for breakfast. That's right. He's a femoral rod to fix the metacarpal. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a whirlwind around the uh, the injury room across uh, two leagues, NBA and NFL. Adams, good seeing you. Thanks for filling in for Drew. Uh, we will hopefully see you in 2021 when the skies have gotten more sunny, clouds have parted, and uh, the COVID situation is is looking much better. Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year. It's a shame to end 2020 with injuries, but it's good to end 2020, period. And uh, I think only good days and good vaccinations ahead. That's right. All right, guys. Well, uh, check us out on Facebook. We are um, we, Drew all says this part. Uh, the Sports Medicine Orthopods, Twitter at Sports Orthopods, Gmail, sportsorthopods at gmail.com. Mom and Dad, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.